my guess would be that uh, most people that are going to church today in our city and around the world are thinking, well, all churches are the same. That it doesn't matter where I go as long as I go to church. But it does matter because the gospel is not being preached everywhere around the world. It should be, but it's not. And it's very, very sad to think that so much of the Bible can be being taught out there and yet none of it actually being assimilated and grabbed onto and lived out. It's because it's dead. In most people's eyes, he doesn't live, he's dead. We've been studying the life of Paul, and when you get to chapter 14, you find that Paul, some serious things are going to happen, and that's next Sunday. But before we get there, we have the tail end of chapter 13 that we talked about last week, and this is what happened. Paul was invited to speak in the Sanhedrin. You remember, if you've been following with us, that Paul's gone through his own time of depression after he accepted Christ and went down to Arabia to live for a few years and then moved back to his hometown of Tarsus. And I think was very reluctantly wanting to do anything because he got his family against him and he had the Jews that he thought were his friends turn against him. And now, now he's back in the scene again because... God needed him to be there when they went to Antioch. And now he is in, in Pisidian Antioch, which is a different Antioch. And he's preaching there in the Sanhedrin by the requests of the religious leaders of his day. They actually were curious to see what Paul would preach. Sometimes it's just a test to see how you respond to things. And so he's preaching and he preaches this ridiculously powerful message prior to the, the few verses that I'm talking about this morning. And he just lays it right straight out there for the Jews and said basically this. You've had all this opportunity to believe in Christ, who is the Messiah that you were looking for, and the entire Old Testament proved that there was a Messiah coming, that it would be of the lineage of David, and David, who you love so much, was in the lineage of Christ, and yet you refused to believe in the one that has changed my life since on the Damascus road I was blinded and saw the light. And he's saying to them, you have rejected him, so now I'm offering it to the Gentiles, and they can now have this free salvation. And he really laid it out. He laid it in the face of all the religious people. And I look around and I think to myself, certain people won't come to church. Don't even fool yourself for one second. Those are not believers. They're not interested in spiritual things. You say, well, they just like another church. No, if they love God, they love God, period. They won't be hunting on Sundays and fishing and sleeping and all the other things. They will be interested in spiritual things. I will promise you that. That is not being taught because we don't want to offend anyone. I think you should offend them into making a decision. Are you a believer or not? Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Christ the Son? Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you been able to feel, even for a moment, the power of God this morning? Because the Holy Spirit is not just a feeling. He is a part of the Godhead that makes you feel, makes you convicted, makes you come alive. 
He energizes you. He quickens you from death to life. That's what it's all about. And then you get to where Paul actually had made the religious leaders extremely upset. And you get to the verses at the end of the chapter, of chapter 13, 43 through 45 is my text. And it says, now when the synagogue meeting broke up, he's done preaching, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas spoke to them, urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city was gathered together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted the things which were spoken by Paul and blasphemed. When I looked at this text, I thought, there are only four verses in here, but I'm just blown away. Just with these few, I think three, is it three or four? Three verses. Three verses so ridiculously packed with truth for us today that it forces us to actually sit in the seat here and make a decision about where we are personally. Where I am, you've already been confronted with that this morning because before you even got here, we were in here praying and worshiping and being the Levites that we're supposed to be to bring you into the presence of God. You don't just go to church to get more knowledge. You go to worship the one who gives you the knowledge. The only one that is capable of making you into anything is the only reason why you go to church. And so just... As I'm studying this week, I'm thinking, what are you talking to me about in this text, God? And first of all, one of the things that I wanted to point was, you have to know the difference between a proselyte and a true believer. Because it says, now when the synagogue meeting broke up, and Paul had just finished preaching this incredibly powerful message that had to convict people like crazy, because you are forced with, a, with a, a choice. If you go to a church where the gospel is being preached, you are forced with the choice of accepting or rejecting all the time. All the time, accept or reject. Accept or reject. And here's my fear for the modern church in America. My fear is that the bait that we use to get you in becomes the only thing that keeps you there. The bait we use, which is bringing you into decent worship where the band sound good, sounds good and the singers are good and, and they might even look decent, some of them. The bait we use becomes the only thing that draws you because there's no power of the Spirit. You just come because it's a good, solid message or it's a good, there's good music there or I like the theater seats or whatever. I'm not even into being silly today about anything because I think it's a serious message for us. You're either saved or you're lost. That's the gospel. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either a Judas or you're a true follower. You are what you are is what you are. And don't try to deny it. You're either a real believer or a proselyte. That someone has invited you to come into our body of believers who really want to worship together called Rock Church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against us because we have God on our side. No matter what anyone in the city says, when the lady calls and says, why would you paint your church black as she did this week? We just say, well, what business is that of yours and why is that of your concern? How about your heart? Is that black? But if we say that to them, you know what? 
you know what? They're not going to like it. But Paul didn't worry about whether people liked it or didn't like it. Paul let the light so shine that others may see the God that he glorifies and also join with him and glorify the God that we serve who is alive. There's a, different be a difference between just a ordinary Jew and a proselyte. A proselyte that has come into the system of belief that you believe. A proselyte was a Gentile. It was a convert to Judaism. And so what the person did was they saw the Jews going to the, the, the um, synagogue and they thought, you know, we don't do that and I'm really searching for something in my life because people come into church that are legitimately searching. They're, they're discouraged with life or whatever and they're searching for something and God has gone after them through his Holy Spirit and they come into the church and they just measure everything by whether they like or don't like what's going on in the church. I am sick and tired of mega churches with multiple branches and all the other things that rule our culture because, and make us feel like we're, we're not doing something for God if we're not big. I don't care if we're ever big. The 12 students that stood up here today tell me something's happening at Rock Church. Because we didn't just have them come and work like slaves, which we did. But we didn't just have them come to eat my lunch that I fixed for them every day. We had them come so they would see that glorifying God is life-changing and powerful. And they too would desire to glorify God with their whole life, with everything that they have. That is the reason why Rock Church meets. No other reason. I'm beyond all that stuff. I don't care if we ever have a megachurch. What I care about is that after I die, I'm 65, and after I die, that these kids will say the one thing that our pastor told us was the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful unto God, to salvation, to the Jew first, but then to the Gentile too. Thank you, Lord. Paul said, if you Jews won't take what I'm offering you, and I say this to you in the spirit of Paul, if you don't want to take what I'm offering you right now, you are dangerously headed on a bad path. If you don't care that your spouse and your children are on this path, you don't care. People are more interested in going off on their own. So they have these devout, it says devout proselytes, not just proselytes, devout proselytes that had come into the Juda Judaistic way of thinking and went to the tabernacle, I want to call it, the synagogue, Went to the synagogue with them on the day to worship. They weren't believers. They had a lot of knowledge. I said this to praise team. I'll take some of the biggest churches in our city, and I think the question we should be asking is this. Are people coming to Christ there on a regular basis because the gospel is spreading to every Jew, every Gentile? the gospel is spreading around the earth, the earth, or our churches there entertaining Christians that are deader than deader than dead, getting their heads filled with more knowledge but not doing anything with the knowledge they got. You know what you should be doing? Here's what happens in church. Jealousy sets in because you're out there and you think, well, I'm not one of them up there and I can never be one of them up there, or you get jealous because you're not one of them up there and when you could be one of them up there. You know what I'm saying? Why aren't we devout believers instead of devout proselytes? Our churches are nothing but fish that have changed aquariums. Not people who are coming into the kingdom through the power of God, through the gospel that's been preached. Three years at the end of August, we've been together. 
If you're in this room this morning and you accepted Christ through Rock Church in the last three years, stand to your feet. You've accepted Christ in the last three years because of Rock Church. That is why Rock Church started. Yes. You could have a seat. God said, I'm plucking you out. You, you had no idea that one day you were going to sit under the ministry of the gospel and say, I need that in my life. You had no idea because we don't pick God. God picks us. And God will take anybody that's open and available. Whosoever will may come. I'm not making that up. The scripture says that. Whosoever will may come. We're entertaining our people. I was reading an article in Charisma Magazine, which I don't subscribe to. It was online. It was by a, a, the writer of the article was talking about the fact that she went to a mega church where she thought things were really happening until one day she realized that all they were doing there was just entertaining people. And proselytes were coming from other churches. They weren't getting saved. Their life wasn't changed by the power of God. The gates of hell did not prevail against Vince and his wife. They got saved. The gates of hell prevail when they're closed and no one's coming in. Do you understand that? We put it on the wall at our new place. Upon this rock will we build our church. Rock Church is built on Jesus Christ, the foundation of Christ alone. Nobody else, not Pastor Gary, not Nick, not Aaron, not anyone else, no matter what anybody tries to say, the gospel is the power of God, not us. We are simply his servants. We have all these proselytes joining in. Well, I go to this church, and I go to that church, and I'm really proud of it has nothing to do with what church you go to. We can stand out in the middle of a manure-filled barnyard and praise Jesus better than some people are doing in this city with their mega churches or multi-million dollar building programs that are leading people to hell. This is what Jesus said about it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You get what Jesus said? He said, proselytes won't cut it. Preach the gospel and your churches will be full of people who are on fire for God. Second thing I see is time will reveal the sheep and the wolves. Oh, yeah. See, Paul knows that both the Jews and the Gentiles will have to make a serious decision in regard to whether they receive or reject. Yes, he knows this, that all of the Jews and the Gentiles that he's talking to now are not guiltless, and you've sat in this room and you're still not going to heaven. And I'll tell you this, this is the way faith is. I'll say it till the day I die. Faith is not faith unless it takes you all the way to sight. And baloney with the eternal security crap that you hear in every church and that I grew up with, not true. The only security I have is this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. There is power in the name of Jesus. Only then is a message powerful. Nothing to do with me or anyone else. We could try to be cute and trite and tell stories till we're blue in the face, but it won't change anybody's lives, and people need the Lord. Acts 20 says this, keep watch over yourselves and the entire flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, 
which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Sabbath wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to draw away disciples after them. There's a Judas in every 12 people. You're sitting in a circle of Judases this morning. I remember in my former church, college-age man coming to me and saying, my dad's been a riverboat junk drunk his entire life. I don't want that life. Pastor, don't let me go back there. And he did. And another young man coming to me and saying, Pastor, don't, I, I've been sexually immoral, impure, and lived horrible life. Don't let me go back there. And as soon as I was removed from the church, he's still there. Or he's not there, actually. He married a woman who had had babies with two other men. Because there was nobody telling them, beware for those grievous wolves out there. There's wolves that are going to try to lie to you. They're going to pull you away. They're going to say, come after us. We're, come, come, go over here to church. Shouldn't it matter where you go to church? Shouldn't it? I'm not saying we're the only church. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Should it not matter what flock you are a part of? Why would you want to be a part of a flock where the Holy Spirit never, ever, ever was present? You know how the Holy Spirit is present? Through purity of heart, through purity of motive, through humility of service and spirit. I found it a great joy to cook for the kids every day because I don't think we need to wash each other's feet. I think we need to cook for each other or something else. I think of all the people in our church that go pick Willie up. That's what you need to do. I think of all the people in our church, I think of Kevin going and picking Scotty up, who's handicapped. I think that's what Jesus would do. The true church takes care of the widows and the fatherless. Yes, and fatherless happens to be this too. Your son is sometimes fatherless, isn't he? But he's a really sweet kid. See, we want to speak into our kids the truth. You are loved. You are amazing. You are wonderful. You are valuable. You are something to God. Get out of the basement. Get out of the oppression. I'm talking to people in this room who have been oppressed way too long. You need to get out of the oppression and claim the power of Jesus' blood to cover you and give you joy and make you happy and make you feel like you matter. Whoa. Some people are getting dangerously close to getting off the path of salvation. And, oh, I know I'm going to get blasted if this message goes online, which it will. And there'll be pastors that say, well, you're trying to teach that you can lose your salvation. No, I'm trying to teach this. You never had it if you can lose it. You never had it. It was just comfortable at the time. I got a third point I want to make. You will have enemies if you're doing anything of significance for God. You will have enemies. Oh, yeah. You think, no, I won't. A Christian shouldn't have enemies. A Christian's supposed to love everybody. No, the fact is this. People are going to not like you. They're going to hate you. And you know where I got that from? I found that when I was in my own personal devotions a couple weeks ago, and I brought it to the staff. This is what David said. David said this. My enemies say of me malice. They say this about you because you're really walking with Christ. When will he die and his name perish? Do you know how many people in this city want the Peterson name to be gone? You have any idea? By the way, you need to go see the movie Ben-Hur. 
It is one of the most powerful movies ever made. I was listening to Rush. It's been made by two Christians. It is. Cinematography is amazing. The acting is unbelievable. It's incredible. See it today if you can. Ben-Hur, the new version of it. And in the middle of the movie, it is, oh, my gosh, it's so powerful. You just understand this, that if you can't forgive, you can't go on. If you can't give out forgiveness and you can't get through it, you can't go on. Thank God he has given us the gift of being able to forgive and reconcile if at all possible. But this is what David said. He wrote this because he knew that many of us would go through this with your family members, with, with your own kids sometimes, with your own parents. Or I don't, I don't know what it is, but sometimes enemies of your own household come against you and they say, when is he going to die? When will his name perish? When one of them comes to see me and they pretend they're friends. We came to the movie the other night. Josiah and I and Becky and we sat in theater eight and the ten brinks walked in and sat above us. God wanted them there because he wants us to forgive them. You understand that? And let them go. Don't hate them. They're not the problem. The enemy is the problem. Do you understand that, people? It's not your family. I am talking to people in here who can't even make things right with your own family. I said to my wife, we're sitting at Cracker Barrel doing the $6 special. Best deal in the city. If you go there, it won't be the deal anymore. They'll take it off the menu. So don't go. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. I've already told you before. So I'm not trying to be funny. It's just fact. I'm sitting at Cracker Barrel, and I said to Becky, my dad's 90 years old. My, bro my youngest brother, who, who got all my dad's millions, hit him somewhere, so we can't even see him. We don't even know where he's at. And I said to my wife, he became very wealthy, and he worked all the time, and it was always, you got to be in the field. you got to do this. you got to do that. And what did he get out of it? Nothing. I look online, and I see my brother, who... Didn't get married for all those years and quit the minute he quit Bible college. He had two daughters and they're both live like hellions. They look horrible. They look like drug addicts and oh, the language they use online. And I just started reaching out to him and I think, Dad, what what did you get? How, how did you invest righteously in your own kids' lives? Do you understand this, people? You're so busy teaching your kids to hunt and fish and all this other stuff, but you are not teaching them to be godly kids. We're on the way to church this morning. The door goes, the garage door goes down, and it keeps popping up, something gets in the way, and I'm like, oh, gosh, Becky's doing her makeup in the car because the alarm didn't go off. And, you know, we're just having this. I'm thinking, Satan, I'm not giving in. I'm not giving in today. No, I'm not giving in at all. I will submit to you, God. And I said, because we usually start praying right away. And I said, Josiah, would you pray today? And I was so proud to hear Josiah praying in the back seat. Dear God, I pray that you would bless Rock Church and bless my dad today as he preaches the Bible. And I'm thinking, I am a rich man. I have my daughter married to a preacher. Mother, daughter's wayward. I will not give up. My wife will not give up. We will not give up. We will not give up. You don't give up on your family. Don't give up. There were 12 students up here today that should prove to you, you don't give up. You sow into your kids. They, the, God wants you to do this. And sometimes your enemies will come to you, like it says, 
And one of them comes to you and he says, he speaks falsely. And while his heart gathers slander, he's looking for a way to get back at you. Then he goes out and spreads it all over the place. And David said, all my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, a vile disease has afflicted him. Sounds like Hillary Clinton. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted. Listen, this is key. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me. For my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. They could take your reputation away. They can take your church away. They can take your business away. They can take away everything that seems important to you, but they can't take away this. They can't take away my relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, when you lift your, you, hey, hey, when you lift your hand, we don't do that in here because other people are lifting their hands. You know what happens at Rock Church? You're lifting your hands because you can't stand it. There's something that pulls your butt right out of that chair and makes you pop up and say, I think I'm going to get raptured. I think heaven is coming down. I think because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Didn't you feel like you're going to jettison out of here? Sometimes you feel, I feel like I'm getting a heart attack right now. I'm so excited. So if I fall over dead, live for God. <laughs> and it's going to give my enemies some more talking fuel. Say we told you. Tornado yesterday, we were praying it would hit that church over there. I actually was teasing the guys when it hit over by the church. The winds were so strong. There's a whole bunch of us in there with all that glass around there. And there's kids, Zach's kids in there. And we're telling them, get in the center of the building. And I'm praying that it would head more toward a, a, another direction. <laughs> I was teasing the guys. That doesn't work. You can't do that. No, that's exactly what this is talking about. Don't waste your time praying against your enemies. Pray for them. Don't pray on them. Pray for them. You get that? Because you're not going to get blessed. You're just going to be bitter. You're just going to be bitter. Go see Ben-Hur. You'll cry. Woof. On the Via Dolorosa, in the movie, it's really, really powerful. Ben-Hur is not for God. And he's taken into slavery and someone tries to offer him water, and the guard says no. Says no, he can't have any water. Later on, he has opportunity to offer it to the Savior on the Via Dolorosa. And Jesus comes, you know, Jesus is, oh, I, I forgot to say this on the first part. When the water was offered to him, he was being beaten. Jesus steps out of the crowd, just like Jesus does. He has this powerful thing that he does to you, and he looks in your eyes, and one glimpse of the Savior makes you melt. Am I right on that? For those of you who really know the King of glory, get your eyes fixed back on him. He's the only one that has the water of life. 
man, I, I, want, I want to say this, and I, I don't want to always be the pastor that's rebuking people. I want to be the one that's encouraging you. You've gone through something this year, personally, that has been a gentle reminder of my next point. It's this, be mindful of God's grace. Because if you look at the scripture, you're going to find it's pretty powerful. In verse 43, it says this, so Paul and Barnabas spoke to them. Who? The Jews and the proselytes that would listen. There's always somebody listening. Do you realize this? There's always somebody listening in on to your conversation. They're looking at your life. They're seeing how you're going to respond to everything that comes. And so Paul and Barnabas spoke to them, urging them to continue in what? In the grace of God. There's only one way you're going to make it today, and I'm going to make it. There's only one way, because life is going to treat you brutally, and this year something's happened that nearly killed you. It was a big, big setback for you, but it was a gentle reminder that you won't make it without the grace of God. You will not make it without the grace of God. Don't even think for a second you'll make it. You'll find yourself weeping, wondering where God is, and the answer is he's right there with you all the time. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. Watch Ben-Hur. You'll see it. Oh, yes, he is. He's telling you that the only thing that you have that will make any difference is not your bitterness, not your unforgiveness, not your place in life. The only thing that you have is the grace of God, which is plenty. You got it? Yes? You know that something happened to you in the past year that has been a gentle reminder of God. Come back to my grace or you won't make it. Sometimes when I look out, I see people weeping and I think, we don't know what their story is. We don't know what their story is. But the Bible says that Noah found grace. He found favor. Grace is favor. That's what it is. You get a favor from someone. They do a favor for you. Moses is said to have found favor with God. You honestly don't think that when Moses killed a man because he let his flesh rule, when he killed that man and he went to the backside of the desert to the Midianites, you honestly don't think that he was thinking in his mind, God is done with me. It's over. I am finished. I am a wash up. I have blown it too bad. And God says, those are the ones that I can use. You got that? Those are the ones that I can use. The ones that are on the backside of the desert. The ones that went down to Arabia and thought, you're done. I'm finished. And God says, you are not done. Get up. Get up now and get back to where you ought to be. Yeah. Find grace again. Grace of God is there every day, every minute. May this haunt you. The grace of God is following you now. You're here by the grace of God. No, you did not come here by mistake. You came here by the grace of God today because he, wanted to, he, he, wants, he wants this. He wants to pour out his favor on you. All over the room. He says, I'm not done with you. Why are you giving up? Why are you going back to your old ways? Find favor. Find grace in God. Find your grace in God. Find your favor in God. Oh, God, we don't even need to go any further. We could stop right here. God, pour it out on the person in the room who doesn't even realize that your grace is flooding down their head right now and washing them. Right? Yeah. 
and saying, oh, I got plans for you. It's plans to prosper you. Only you thought prosperity was riches. I say prosperity is poverty. You thought prosperity was sex. I say prosperity is celibacy. You say, I thought it was going to be this way, and God said, no, it's this way. This is one of the things that troubles me most about the church. Big crowds are not necessarily a sign of God's blessing. Big buildings don't mean God's there. Little is much when God is in it, right? Little. He looks at you and says, you're a pretty strange-looking duck. Well, he says that to a lot of people in here. You're a pretty, you're a pretty odd-looking one. Uh-huh. Yeah. I told you the gospel light attracts a lot of strange bugs. You're a strange bug. <laughs> and God says, I love all 12 of those kids. You know what I think? I think that Cody didn't even get it until this summer. He got it. I'm somebody with God. I matter. How many times you come to me in the morning and say, Pastor, you got a minute I could just talk to you? And I thought, this boy desperately wants the guidance of God to direct his paths, to lead him into righteousness, not into trouble. Lucas, the same way. He can't get off the path. He has to stay with God. He knows he will self-destruct, right, Lucas? Ed, same for you? I heard your voice over there. Ed, even in those dresses he wears, those... <laughs> Ed loves those long T-shirts that call down there. They're somewhere between normal and something else. Ed's going to be a powerhouse for God. I love Rock Church because we love each other. Am I right? We love each other. We love being together. Put us in the manure pin and we'll take it. If God's in the manure pen, that's where you'll be. Yeah, 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 isn't it? See, God knows that being blessed doesn't necessarily mean you have 5,000 people going to your church. It means they have a Willie and a Laura and a Cody and an Ed and other people that matter to God, don't they? Verse 44 says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city was gathered together to hear the word of God. Oh. Paul is ripping like crazy, and the result is this. Everybody wants to go, and I know why. Because everybody needs the Lord. Right? Because everybody needs Jesus. I dare you right now, just whisper his name, Jesus. You know how you know you're a believer? Because that name, above all names, does something in here, doesn't it? When you bless others, like Paul blessed them, God will bless you. See, people like big crowds, and I wrote a list of things, because there's no personal accountability. Because there's very little shepherding, you don't even know your shepherd. Because pride says, I go to Res Life. Because there's no need to bring others to Christ and salvation, we already have enough people. Why should I go tell my neighbors and my friends? Because they're more about entertainment than they are about serving. And lastly, I put, because the body of Christ doesn't grow. The fish are just changing aquariums, so they like the big church. Nobody will bother me. 
I can just live in my ways. I can just live in my sin. I could just go and be entertained and go back to my, my normal line of thinking, which is, oh, God's grace will be there for me. I'll just go ahead and think the way I want to think. You won't be happy. You will not. I had one last thing I wanted to say. The greater the crowd, the greater the possibility of carnality. Yes, it's true. The greater the crowd, the greater the possibility of carnality. Because it's true what the scripture said. It was how the chapter finished um, was crazy. It says in verses 43 through 45 at the very end, but when the Jews saw that the whole city wanted to go to Paul's meeting, they were filled with jealousy and contradicted the things which were spoken by Paul. I got to stop there for one minute. Even since we started Rock Church, some people have come to me and said, well, I don't agree with your position on this, and I don't agree with your position on that. Well, you honestly think that's going to stop me from saying it? You should know me by now. God tells me to say it, I'm saying, oh, yeah, God doesn't tell you to say that we should vote for Trump. I didn't say you should vote for Trump. I said that by not voting for Trump, you are voting. And I have people write me little texts and stuff saying, well, that's not your business, and I disagree with you. You are wrong. I am telling you, you are wrong. You are saying that you're conservative and that you don't want to see um, someone in the White House for this, this, and this reason, but you're putting someone in the White House in the form of Hillary Clinton who is going to, she's going to appoint liberal judges, and that will affect our entire country all during the lives of our children. You have a right to vote. Vote. Well, I am voting my conscience. No, you're not. You're voting your pride. You're voting your pride. That's what you're voting because you're too proud to admit that we Christians blew it. Have you led anyone to Christ? Have you personally brought anyone into the kingdom in your entire life, even one? Then you are the reason why our country's in the shape that it is because if all of us had been spreading the gospel, there wouldn't be any question that we need conservative values in the White House. Am I right about that? Stop always having to be right. I, I guarantee you that if you're sitting in this room and you must always be right, you will always be depressed. But I tell that to people, and then they just go on and say, whatever, you suck. I'll still love you even if you think I suck. I'm not trying to be funny. I will still love you. I will love you out of your oppressed, depressed, demonic state of mind that always has to be right. When the Jews saw this, you know what was you know what was going on and I know. They were filled with jealousy. I wrote myself a scripture last night again. Song of Solomon 8:6 says this. Set me a seal. I don't have it on the screen. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is as fierce as the grave. You get that? The Bible says that jealousy is as the sin of witchcraft. It puts a spell on your enemies, a spell of hate, which will not work. Only love wins. Hate does not win. In the big picture, stop being so ridiculously argumentative and submit. So much carnality. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. 
Put that verse back up again, please, one you just said. And this is how it all ends. And they contradicted the things which were spoken by Paul. Divisive people always have to be right. Well, you always had to be right. No, I'm not always right. I am wrong many times. But I am not wrong about this. You should vote. The day is coming when you will not be able to. You must vote for one of the two candidates. That's what we've been left by God's sovereign plan to do, one or the other. You don't always get your way, and you stubborn-headed people out there must contradict and, write, and then get, hold bad attitudes and be bitter. And look how it ends. And this is the end of this message. And it contradicted the things which were spoken by Paul and blasphemed. What? Yes. And they blasphemed. There is only one sin that is unpardonable in God's eyes. Only one. Blasphemy. Do you realize that your bad attitude, your, your bitterness, your off-path tangents all the time, that your stubborn thinking and your pride will all lead you to blasphemy? You rebelled so much, and you wonder why nobody wants to be with you. You wonder why nobody wants to marry you. You wonder why your own kids don't like being around you. You wonder why your parents are concerned about you. It's because you're always contradicting everything any leader says, and you're blasphemous by doing it. You're supposed to respect those in authority. The Bible is very clear about that. It doesn't mean you bow down and worship them. It means you listen. In order to work at the Rock Church staff, you have to listen. I'll serve you, but you also have to listen. You're going nowhere quickly if you have that contradictory negative spirit that the Jews and the proselytes had. Our church will go nowhere with those kind of people. Our church will do the best if we move toward a love for God that is so great that it is manifested in loving others. Starts in your own house, doesn't it? Close your eyes a moment. We only have eight weeks left in this room, but I want to say this. This is a room that God gave us to meet in. And many things have happened in this room in the last three years. And now we move to a new place soon. It won't make any difference where we meet. If the Holy Spirit is not there, there will be no power. There will be no love. There will be no sweet spirit. There will be simply entertainment in another church that's looking for fish to be proselytized out of their aquarium. Don't have that blasphemous spirit. God's talking to you right now. Whenever you do not listen to the Holy Spirit, it is blasphemy. If God's Spirit has spoken to you this morning in some way, I want you to stand up, be bold enough to stand up. I'm not making you tell anything. I'm not making you walk forward. God's Holy Spirit has spoken to you about something today, and you are willing to stand up. I'm not going to look up, nor should anybody else be looking around. I'm not going to look up. Maybe God has not spoken to you today, but he has to me. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, you are like rain. It's raining in here. You're like a tornado. You come out of nowhere. 
when we least expect it and you touch our hearts and you speak to us. That is the evidence that you live in us, God. Pour yourself out upon this church. May the day never come where the gospel is not being preached. Not just to get proselytes, God, lookalikes, but to truly see people enter into the kingdom and to spend eternity with us, with you. I pray the power of Jesus' blood over us as we leave. In his name, amen.